the church was divided. Tempers were high, feelings were hurt. The congregation was divided into two groups. One group insisted that the church only sings hymns. Now, it's not what you think. It was the year 1857, and it was a Dutch Reformed church in Holland, Michigan, where I come from. And in 1857, the hymns written in the English language were the contemporary praise music of the day. The true traditionalists in the Dutch Reformed Church insisted that they sing only what they called uh, metric psalms from the Psalter in the Bible, in the Dutch language. But these hymn books were sweeping the nation, and people were singing them in English. And the church was divided. Can you imagine the arguments? I believe we should only sing God's words, not those man-made words in English. I follow the traditions of our forefathers. We need to meet people where they are in contemporary culture. Can you imagine how heated and divisive those conversations were? And in fact, they were so heated and divisive that the church split, the entire denomination split in two over this argument. There are now two Dutch Reformed denominations. I come from one of them. Now, these were Christ-following people. These were people who knew the New Testament. They knew what it said in our scripture today, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I want to go back in time to 1857 to these people arguing over this, and I want to just say to them, stop it. Be united. When I think back at my people, my tradition in that sense, I get a little bit embarrassed. I cringe that they divided over something like that. Until I realize <laughs> some of the things we allow ourselves to be divided over as well. Some pastor a couple of generations from now might look back, not to 1857, but to 2021. And say, can you believe they allowed themselves to be divided over such things? So let's look in the scripture today to see the harm that happens when we allow ourselves to be divided, when we allow our loyalties to be divided, when we allow our church to be divided. And let's look in the scripture ultimately to see the one thing that unites us. So let's pick it up again. If you've put away your Bible, I encourage you to take it out. The scriptures will be on the wall behind me, but I just love holding God's word in our hands as well. So pull that out if you're willing, 1 Corinthians 1. Let's pick it up in verse 11, where we left off. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. You see, what's happening here is that Paul had planted this church in Corinth. The congregation was up and running in the city of Corinth, and Paul had moved on to another location. But Paul started receiving emails from Chloe. 
after he moved on. And Chloe started forwarding Paul these emails from the congregation. Can you picture these emails? Three reasons why I follow Paul. Or vote for Apollos, he's the best. Or the truth behind Cephas. Did you know that Cephas is just another name for Peter? And we all know that Peter denied Jesus when it mattered most. Down with Peter, down with Cephas, I follow Paul. And so Chloe's getting these emails from the congregation. She notices that the congregation is dividing over these loyalties to personalities and preferences. And she forwards these emails on to Paul, and he writes the epistle that we know of as 1 Corinthians based on these email forwards that Chloe is sending from her people. Now, how do, why am I saying email forwards? Because I'm still hearing from Chloe's people today. <laughs> I get these emails too. I follow Dr. Fauci. I follow Dennis Prager. I follow John MacArthur. I prefer hymns. I prefer the praise band. I think we should be wearing masks. I think masks are a sign of government control. I think the pastor should wear robes. I think men in robes is ridiculous. I think we should be worshiping indoors. I think we should be worshiping outdoors. Stop it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Some of you who just clapped have sent me emails. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's some new folks to the church today, and they're like, what is happening at this church? It's happening at every church across America. You might be wondering, what's the problem? What's the problem? Why can't we follow these national figures? Why can't we have preferences for worship? And I would answer that question just by simply asking a question back. That's what Paul does in verse 13, after he names this, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, verse 13, he asks us a question. He says, is Christ divided? Now, why would Paul ask that question? Paul knows, and the church knew as well, that if you belong to a congregation, you belong to what the New Testament calls the body of Christ. We use that phrase a lot. In church, we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And Paul looks at this congregation in Corinth and he sees their division because they have divided loyalties. And he's reminding us that when we do that, it's like we're dividing a body, the body of Christ. Now, I just want to be really visual about this. I want you to look at, go ahead, look at my body right now. It's not as handsome as Pastor David's body, but go ahead and look at this body. <laughs> We are the body of Christ. Now, what would happen if this body that you're looking at right now was divided? If the limbs and the head and the torso were divided from one another? I know it's graphic to picture that, but how good, how much good would my body be? It would be useless, right? Paul is reminding us we are the body of Christ, and when our loyalties are divided, when I follow so-and-so, and I follow so-and-so, and I prefer this, and I prefer that, it's like we're tearing our body apart, serious business, and we become useless to the world. Is Christ divided? 
the harm that comes when we have all these preferences, when we have these divided loyalties, is that we become useless as a people. We think, because of everything we've absorbed from our culture, we think that it's our job, that it's our calling to win arguments. That's all the world is doing out there, is just arguing with each other. And we've let that absorb into our body, and we think we have to win arguments with one another. If I can just get my fellow church members to believe like I do. And we're dividing ourselves. Our role is not to win arguments. Paul goes on from here. He, I love this. It's kind of funny. He can't remember who he baptized in this church. And he's kind of glad he can't remember who he baptized. But he starts bringing home the point of what we are called to be in verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Preach the gospel, he says. What is the gospel? The gospel is that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God does not treat us as our sins deserve. So he made a way, he sent his very own son to take our place upon the cross to receive the punishment that all of our sins deserve, that his body might be broken so that we could be made whole. We might be forgiven instead of forsaken. That's the simplicity of the gospel. That's not an argument. It's the truth of God's grace for us. Verse 20, he begins to describe just the foolishness, how foolish it is when we who belong to the body of Christ, who are to be united by his wounds, we are healed, we are united in Christ. When those of us who are united in Christ start tearing each other apart through arguments, Paul begins revealing in these next few verses just how foolish and silly that is. We're operating like the world operates. And to really illustrate this, he shows us this in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's like Paul is bringing to our minds, like, you know, on cable news, when you have those screens with the talking heads all arguing with each other. You know, there they are. Da, 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 da. And their ratings go up and we all watch. Paul brings them all out in verse 20. Where's the one who was wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater? There's three talking heads now in my mind as Paul says. Bring them all out there. Has God not made foolish? Don't they look foolish when you think about them from God's perspective? All these debates we have as a culture constantly fighting and infighting. And we do great harm to the church when we bring that type of posture into the body. Do you remember the Oprah show? She used to bring on Dr. Phil. Remember this guy? And he used to talk to you know, married couples, and he would just watch them argue. You know, this couple united in the covenant of marriage reduced to talking heads arguing. And Dr. Phil had this great line. He would lean across the, you know, the armchair and he would look at him. He's from Nashville, right, with his Nashville accent. And he would say, usually to the husband who was doing the most arguing, he would say, all right, you can be right or you can be married. Heard Dr. Phil say that. I want to adapt that same wisdom from Dr. Phil and speak it to us, speak it to the body of Christ. Church, you can be right 
or we can be united. We act like those talking heads on cable news when God wants us to be united in Christ. And you might be thinking, but don't we need to have a good argument? Don't we need to to win the culture wars? No. We don't. We don't. And anyways, how would we ever win that argument if all we're doing is arguing in here? The argument has been won. The battle has been won. The final word has been spoken. It is finished. What happened on the cross wins all of these silly human arguments. It looks like foolishness to the world. Your savior, your hero of the story, dies a pathetic death on the cross. His body is broken. It looks foolish to the world, but to us it is the power of God. Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the argument that wins all arguments. Verse 22, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. How is it that simply preaching Christ crucified, which we do every Sunday here at Stanwich Church. We literally have a meeting on Thursday afternoons where we review the sermon and we make sure that there's some description of what happened on the cross in every sermon. And when we don't have that in the sermon, we have the person giving, officiating the communion table mention what happened on the cross, partly because of this verse, but partly because of what it does. When we preach Christ crucified, when we bring to our minds what happened on the cross, we become united. Why? Because everyone, everyone, everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. Everyone is in need of salvation. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Dr. Fauci's equal there, Dennis Prager, John MacArthur, Rachel Maddow, Sean Hannity, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Pastor David, me, you, all of us have the same need at the foot of the cross. And that is that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we have rebellious hearts and we need what happened on the cross to happen for us. Not only are we equal in our sin at the foot of the cross, I really want you to hear this now. We are equal in how much we are loved at the foot of the cross. When God looks at us through those eyes of the one who died in our place on the cross, when he sees all of us, he's not holding our sins against us. He's saying, I love them. I love you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Clearly. When we realize that, that we're equal at the foot of the cross, we might then turn to our neighbor, the one that we thought we had to win an argument against a moment ago the one that we had to convince of our way of viewing the world or the pandemic or 
music or church or culture, we might say, oh, that person's in equal need of salvation, equal to me. That person is just as loved by God as I am or the person on the other side of me, and we become united, see? It's the only thing really that can unite us. No other talking head. And I'm going to transition us now to the communion table. And I want this to be an opportunity for us by the Holy Spirit's invitation to just gather around the foot of the cross. We preach Christ crucified here, and the invitation for us is to come and gather in that place. And as we all leave this place in a few minutes, that we might also be, all of us be ones who preach Christ crucified, to put aside our arguments with our neighbors and our family members and our coworkers, and to simply say to the world who so desperately needs it, the world that is so divided by every silly issue, to say to everyone in our orbit to say, come, come and see. Come and see this event that happened on the cross. Come and see this uniting event where Jesus died for all of us, where God loved all of us equally. I don't want to argue with you, but I want to bring you into unity in Christ. That's our mission. We preach Christ crucified. And in a moment, you're going to see me hold up this piece of bread and you're going to see me tear it in half, as is our tradition at communion. Folks, let this be a reminder of what it says in Isaiah 53 that he was wounded so that we might be healed. When we argue, when we tear ourselves apart, it's like we're crucifying him all over again. But he died once and for all. Let's remember that at this table. Let's confess our sins. Let's be honest with God about the ways we need him. So let's pray the prayer of confession together. You can hold on to your communion packet for now. I'll give instructions in a couple minutes of when to open it. But let's just get really honest before God. I'll leave a moment of silence after this written prayer for us to bring our silent confessions to God. But let's join our hearts first. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Now, Lord, hear our silent confessions.
Now, having given honest confession, let us hear the good news of the gospel, as is declared in the 103rd Psalm, where it says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so our God shows compassion towards those who fear him. Because of his finished work on the cross, I can happily declare that we are forgiven. And I remind you of what it says in Scripture that our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray to consecrate these elements. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that your body was broken so that we could be made whole. Keep us whole. Keep us united at the foot of the cross. We need this. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. At this time, you can open up the top layer of plastic on your communion packet to reveal the wafer and also the bottom layer of plastic to reveal the juice. And we can partake of these elements together, united in Christ. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for consecrating this meal and these people. Keep us united. Keep us centered in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.